0: Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. This show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its Soundness Initiative. This episode is also sponsored by the POCUA, a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. Always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals. And you deserve better. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I'm here with a special episode today. We're in between great guests that we have for the show. I felt that since we're in the middle of season one, that this would be a good time to revisit exactly what the Soundness Initiative is. Now, a couple years ago in the Police Officers Credit Union Association, we developed this idea of the Soundness Initiative, where we had four pillars of soundness. Financial, of course, since we have a number of financial institutions that serve first responders and healthcare workers in our association the physical pillar because we wanted people to be physically fit that are in public safety professions emotional because we understand that there's some psychological issues there's ptsd there's stress there's a lot of things going on with police officers firefighters emts corrections workers healthcare workers especially now uh in the land of COVID-19 and public unrest and so forth. And of course, professional, we wanted to bring some professional guidance that can help public safety professionals do their jobs better. That's what we looked for when we launched Public Safety Talk Radio. We thought about a couple of different vehicles as to how to deliver our Soundness Initiative. We talked about uh, seminars, webinars, uh, big conferences. Um, Fortunately, we hadn't completely gone down the big conference idea uh, before COVID hit. Uh, That was just uh, simply still sitting in our strategy, and we hadn't implemented it yet, and I'm glad we didn't. And fortunately, we didn't because it seemed like the podcast, this particular show, would be a better vehicle uh, to provide guidance, help, thought leadership, knowledge in the areas of the four pillars of soundness. Again, those are financial, physical, emotional, and professional. And I have four examples for you. Fortunately, at Beta Training and Consulting, we produce a number of different shows. So what I have done is gone back as far as Three, three and a half years ago to all of our content to look for a financial piece, a physical piece, an emotional piece, and a professional piece that I could share with you to give you an idea of what we look for in terms of guests and content for each pillar, uh, as well as to give you something additional. Uh, in fact, all of these particular segments that I'm going to show you are from other shows except for the professional pillar uh, because we're going to bring back a piece from a guest that we had a little bit earlier in Public Safety Talk Radio, a portion of the interview with him that we didn't show yet. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to start off with the financial pillar. The Police Officers Credit Union Association obviously is a consortium of financial institutions that serve first responders and other public safety professionals, sometimes almost exclusively. And that may not seem important, but at a time like we have right now, you know, especially for police officers, where you don't know if if you go into a place of business, if they really understand you or are really truly going to take care of you. Our institutions are going to do that at a very high level they understand exactly what it means to be a public safety professional because their board is comprised of first responders many of the people that work at a lot of these institutions have family members uh, that are police officers healthcare workers firefighters and the like so for the financial pillar The example that I want to give is a great one. It's with Becky Landis, the CEO of State Highway Patrol, Federal Credit Union. She and State Highway Patrol have been proud members of the POC way for quite some time, um, almost from the very beginning when we began as an association. And and Becky has a unique perspective because not only does she run a financial institution specifically for state highway patrol men and women, but she's also the spouse of a law enforcement professional. So she gets it. She understands from a couple of different angles. So let's hear a snippet from the credit union business news podcast a show produced by beta training and consulting uh, where she talks about the uniqueness of her institution not only from the way that they serve their particular members who are first responders but also one of the tactical programs that they have that frankly very few other financial institutions have let's listen to becky and your niche is really almost a niche within a niche. You know, you don't just simply serve police officers. You serve a a specific niche of state highway patrol men and women throughout the state of Ohio. Yeah. So you really have to be specific on what's important to them. You know, what message is really going to resonate with them? Is, is that a good way of putting it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, like you said, we're a closed seg, we're not open to the public, we have a very um, unique membership, and you have to understand what their needs are. Anytime that we do a a product presentation or launching a new service, you know, is that a specific need or want that's going to fit our membership that may not meet another membership's needs or wants?
0: Right. Right, exactly, you know, as I often talk about in branding, you know a lot of times you know, any financial institution, whether it's credit union bank or or other, a checking account is a checking account, a loan is right. a loan there's there's not too many nuances on it, but where the real brand differentiation comes is not necessarily in the features and benefits of the product, but the fact that you know this specific audience and connect with this specific group better than anybody else possibly could.
1: You know, a good example of that is, Ken, is that, like you said, a loan is a loan. And you can you can play with the rate, you can market it different ways. But there's a couple different things that we do when it, when it comes to the loan specifically. We have uh, signed on with a company called Ameritrust, Trust, and we offer a, a life insurance policy troopers that unfortunately may lose their life in the line of duty. So we offer a life insurance policy that would pay off their loans up to like $850,000 that they would have here at the credit union on any loan here at the credit union if they're killed in the line of duty. Now, you're not going to find that, you know, at the big bank on the corner. They're not going to offer that. We actually paid for that policy out of this credit union. It cost the member nothing.
0: Yeah, that's... That's a great point of, of differentiation in in my work with the police officers credit union association. I know that that killed in the line of duty insurance is, is only available, you know, basically right now through your credit union and a few other police credit unions right. that are part of the POC way there a lot number of non POCUA credit unions that are so called police credit unions that, that aren't offering that so that's that's an excellent point especially for for law enforcement out there so what can we learn from the financial pillar there one above all else POCUA credit unions are different um, they're not a big bank Uh, They're not even community banks or community credit unions. These folks truly understand first responders. And frankly, we even let in community credit unions at times. A great example is City of Boston. Although they serve more than just first responders, they have first responders on their board of directors and they understand why it's unique to be a public safety professional. So they not only understand exactly who you are and how to serve your specific financial needs and understand some of the issues that you're dealing with as a public safety professional, but they cater products specifically to police officers, firefighters, EMTs, healthcare workers, and so forth. And that was a great example that Becky gave in the killed in the line of duty insurance. Uh, It's not something that we comfortably talk about, obviously, but something that is needed. And at this particular time, I believe there are about a 10, maybe dozen at most, um, credit unions in the nation that do offer uh, the killed in the line of duty insurance, and I do believe they are all part of the POCUA. So, you really need to work with a POCUA credit union in order to take advantage of that. Uh, as of right now, I know that it is just for law enforcement professionals. Uh, but I believe that the creator of the Killed in the Line of Duty Insurance, which is the finest service organization, uh, another proud member of the POCUA, is working on a solution uh, for other public safety professionals. So on the financial pillar, we're here to understand and to do whatever we can to help you as a first responder for your financial wellness and your financial well-being. But let's segue over to the physical pillar, one that I feel we haven't touched on enough in Public Safety Talk Radio. Fortunately, I started to write that wrong a little bit prior episode with Nate Palmer, who did an excellent job of looking at different professions and the need for different exercise and diet regimen. I, I truly and really suggest that if you haven't, watched or listened to that show that you tune into that one go back to that one uh but i want to bring a snippet of an interview that i did uh i think almost four years ago actually uh for another show called branding the experience where we were talking about a particular business uh for this lady that she started her name is monica valerial and she helps people feel better about themselves, not just lose weight, but to be healthier. Um, And she is a healthcare professional as well, which you'll hear from, from this snippet. Uh, But she talks about how she lost, and I believe she lost today, up to 170 pounds. Let's hear from Monica. Can you tell us a little bit about your why and your journey to starting your business?
2: Absolutely. So uh, my life took me into a place where I was going to become an echocardiographer. So what that meant is I was actually doing ultrasounds and not the fun baby cutesy type, but these were ultrasounds (laughs) on heart, liver, kidneys, you know, vascular structures, arteries, and veins. And I'm helping cardiologists diagnose high blood pressure and heart disease. And I'm doing this as a 310 pound girl. Wow. So imagine daily, you know, having these cases where I'm telling somebody, like, huh, doctor's probably going to ask you to lose some weight because that'll really help your high blood pressure. And I'm having these conversations with a 60-inch waist. And I think you can, right off the bat, you can just say that that didn't translate well. You know, who am I and who, you know what I mean? And the doctor as well, you know, just, it didn't seem to fit. And um, that was just one layer of what I was experiencing where I felt out of sync. You know what I mean? But it it translated into many other areas, personally, professionally, uh, in regards to my children, not having energy, my own self personally, you know, not being able to tie a shoe or going into a restaurant where you don't fit behind or within the the booth. So just overall, got to that point where I was sick and tired of of not feeling my best and um, decided that I needed to make a change but I was 310 pounds, Mm -hmm. and I'm 5'4", and so that meant a loss of about 170 pounds.
0: Wow.
2: So, how do you, you know, how do I do that? How does that happen? And so, the decision really came to just lose 10 pounds.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And when I lost 10 pounds, I felt really excited about that and realized that I could lose another 10 pounds. So, fast forward, and then, Have lost 145 pounds, maybe on my best days 150 pounds. Still on my journey, but I had to acquire so much information. I had to rewire so much within me. And when that happened, of course, people started asking me, what did you do? Right. What have you done? You know, how are you doing this? And so slowly but surely that translated into my first client. And you know, as we fast forward, I have clients all over the country. It's kind of interesting.
0: What, what's, what's that one thing? What's the number one thing that I can do? Or what's at least that one thing that maybe I could start tomorrow that will make a difference in either my health or my life?
2: In your health or your life, take the next logical step. Mm-hmm. What is the next logical step for you? You know um, what? What can you do tomorrow? Is it just drinking more water? You know what little healthy habit can you do? What what small thing can you do as far as your career that might take take you to the next level? You know, and so a lot of times it's just showing up. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times it's just you know being open minded, looking for that person. You know, hearing those conversations, not being afraid to tap in and saying, "Hey, you know, nice to meet you." Mm-hmm. You never know. You know what's going to come of that um, but I would just say just take the next logical step you know that's what I did with my weight the next logical step was I need to lose 10 pounds how am I going to do that mm-hmm. mm, I'm going to eat a little bit less or you know what I mean just do some research that was the next logical step for me it was something short but also understanding There was a big picture you know there was a lot to learn there was a lot that was going to
0: happen and being okay with it mm-hmm. so from a physical pillar standpoint, what can we learn from Monica? I think the number one thing yeah, is do the next logical step. Yeah, she lost 170 pounds. Um, you yeah, know, that's a whole person <laughs> Um, and yeah, she wasn't deterred. She understood that it was gonna be a long road, but she took that first step and then that next step. And I think that can be hard for all of us Um, I do know that some first responders, um, I know some turn to other vices, but many do turn to food. Um, In fact, uh, I was listening to a first responder podcast not too long ago where an individual who was in the firefighting profession talked about having PTSD and that he didn't turn to alcohol or sex or drugs or any of those other vices that we talk about sometimes. He turned directly to food and gained quite a bit of weight and was very, very unhealthy, uh, was on specific drugs and was continually going to a doctor for his poor health due to do his weight. So it's not only drugs and alcohol, it can be food that we turn to. Um, and that obviously was, was something that Monica had turned to as a healthcare professional for some reason um, and found out, realized that being a healthcare professional, that that wasn't going to work for her. She took that next logical step first for her and then for her family. And I remember in a program I produced and hosted uh, a while back for law enforcement, you know, we had an individual who trains firefighters, police officers, uh, and other public safety professionals talk about a story about a firefighter who is overweight that put his fellow firefighters in jeopardy. Uh, and I think that there were some injuries there. Uh, he was a little bit harsh Uh, on on that particular story, which is why I'm not mentioning his name uh, or the particular incident. But my point is, is that you do have to do it for yourself, uh, but also understand as a public safety professional, you owe it to your team around you to also pay close attention to your physical health, which ties into emotional wellness as well. I feel for all of the public safety professionals out there always, but especially at this time, the healthcare professionals working around COVID-19, the police officers dealing with unrest, the firefighters having to deal with both um, at times, putting out fires during riots, dealing with COVID-19 in certain areas and having to take other precautions. Uh, I know that there have been police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals that have unfortunately died of COVID-19. So there's a lot of emotional stress out there. Uh, So let's hear from a healthcare worker. Actually, her name is Dr. Cherie Prentice. This is an interview or a portion of an interview that I had the pleasure of doing uh, for Cool Culture Corner. And she talks about how she worked so hard to be a doctor and had to overcome so many obstacles, cancer, lymphedema, um, and wasn't able to practice anymore. But she chose to focus on what she could do, not what she couldn't do. Let's hear from Dr. Prentice.
3: You know, Ken, I have wanted to be a doctor ever since I was two years old. I never dreamed of being anything else, and so, Being a black female born and raised on the south side of Chicago, my parents taught me, girl, you better get in there and you be twice as good uh, because you may end up with only half as much as your counterpart. And so I worked my butt off. I trained, I studied, I became a physician. I practiced for 16 years. I held significant roles, even in my residency, because I was moonlighting when I wasn't supposed to, but I had two small children, so I did what I had to do. You gotta do
0: what you gotta Um, do, girl. You
3: gotta do what you gotta do, (laughs) that's a shy thing, man. It's a shy thing. Um, And so I was moonlighting and I've held medical director roles even in my residency and I was blessed I was doing my thing man right and I'm you know married I got my two kids and then October 1st 2008 everything changed I found a mass in my right breast and it was cancer and I underwent a partial mastectomy 15 rounds of chemotherapy 33 treatments of radiation and I only missed 3 days of work and actually at the time when I was going through chemo that was when the swine flu or h1n1 yeah. remember when that came out that was when that pandemic was out yeah. and because i'm board certified in occupational and environmental medicine i had employers contacting me like crazy trying to come up with emergency preparedness programs so that they could keep their employees safe right. and here it is i'm in chemo immunocompromised myself and now i I'm the population that needs to be protected, but I had to figure out a way to protect everyone else while protecting myself as well. Um, but a year later, lymphedema set in. And the lymphedema, which is uh, causes swelling uh, when your lymph nodes don't work well, lymphedema knocked out my right arm, hand, and fingers. And I was, uh, since I'm right-handed, I couldn't practice clinical medicine anymore. Yeah. And so after 16 years, my lifelong dream was just stripped it was stripped. It, overnight, I, just, I went to see my breast surgeon. Uh, she looked at my arm. We needed to rule out whether or not there was a recurrence. Uh, there wasn't, it, it was lymphedema. But here was the terms that I heard. It's just lymphedema. Oh, it's just lymphedema. And you know, when you battle breast cancer and you hear that it's not a recurrence, you're happy about that. Yeah. But what I came to learn is that it's not just lymphedema. Lymphedema changed my entire life yeah. and so i realized that there were physicians and other people out there who didn't appreciate this disease and for me i now had to figure out what i was going to do with my life now i'm divorced i got two kids am i can't do clinical practice i gotta wear these compression garments 24 7. what do i do i didn't know how to be anything else but a physician And I went through a couple of uh, months of trying to figure stuff out. I went through four months of physical therapy, trying to get the swelling down. And then the process of me trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, I I realized um, that one, I had a big mouth. (laughs) Two, I didn't mind. (laughs) Something else we have in common. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And so I was trying to figure out how can I use what I still have instead of focusing on what I lost in order for me to move forward with my life. yeah, And hence, yeah. during that process is how I came up with my blueprint of how to let go and live today and every day. And for me that live in that whole process of trying to reevaluate and what I was gonna do with my life, uh, I really heard the voice of God, just a small quiet voice saying, Shree, I want you to live. And I was very confused because I thought I have come through my diagnosis. I am living. Mm-hmm. What more can I do? I thought this is what I was doing, but I realized, Ken, mm-hmm. that previously had, I had been existing. I wasn't living. And living now became for me the acronym, and it stands for love myself and others, inspire those around me, voice my dreams and ambitions, and finally to enjoy life. How could I do that with what I still had, letting go of what I didn't, so that I can now journey and create a new vision for my life and help other, vi- other individuals journey down a path that wasn't nearly as long, as hard, and as painful? Yeah. And that's how I ended up with where I'm at now. But what you do have control over is where you choose to dwell. Right. So just because a negative thought popped into your mind doesn't mean now you can consciously choose not to dwell there. Um, And to me, I call that a, a shifting in your vision, in your perspective and focus. You don't have to dwell there. Don't beat yourself up that the emotion came. Don't beat yourself up that you had that thought. Just take control and don't dwell there. Yeah. And my process through what I went through, I had to learn not to dwell there because, you know, I was a successful doc. I had my hands in a number of different things. I'm, I was willing and dealing and doing my thing. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you transition from, you know, d- divorce. My mom died. While I'm going through chemo. So now I help out with my dad, and I'm, I'm moving through it. I'm going through it, and then all of a sudden, to, to just kind of have the carpet you know, rip right up under your feet. Yeah. It it knocked me down and it threw me for a loop. And I had to allow myself to have that moment. And and so many times people don't allow themselves to have that moment when you've been strong and moving through so many things, you, 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 you kind of think in your mind, well I should just pick myself back up. Just boom, just go ahead and do it. But there are moments in your life where you need to allow yourself to have that moment, allow yourself yeah. to grieve that loss. But then don't stay there.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree with you. And, and as I tell even even my clients, especially now in service-based uh, businesses, because they're all getting affected, whether it's a restaurant mm-hmm. where there are people out of work and they're trying to survive through carryout um, or even my banks and credit unions that are still working, but their are affected. The lobbies need to be closed. They need to find other ways to provide services. So everybody's being affected. And I tell them, you're going to feel how you're going you know, to feel. To say, right. hey, to say, I'm not scared, or I'm not angry, or I'm not upset, actually makes it worse. To embrace it and say, all right, yeah, you know what? I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. But rather than dwell in that space, I'm going to realize it, And I'm going to choose to, as you say, not dwell there and and do something else. So what do we take away from that? Well, I I think that, you know, number one, as she said, she wasn't going to focus on what she had lost. She was going to focus on what she had left. And I think that that's important when we're going through an emotional pain, uh, especially right now. Uh, We might not be able to change everything and we may feel like we, we don't have control, but I think the number one thing that we can take from Dr. Cherie Prentice is control what you can control. Even if that's only 1% of our life, let's control that 1% and not focus on that 99%. I know that may be easy for me to say, uh, but the other thing too, which I always stress Uh, And we didn't necessarily hear from from Dr. Prentice. But if you truly need help, you know, if you feel like you're in that space, reach out to somebody. Um, I've had the pleasure to to speak to uh, a few uh, suicide survivors. And that's one of the number one things that they say is reach out to somebody, you know, before you do something yeah just talk to somebody and, and there's a number of different programs out there that uh, are available for first responders uh, and healthcare workers the one that always comes to mind which i've mentioned before is serve and protect uh, out of the nashville tennessee area uh, a proud partner of the poc uh, they have a 24 7 hotline uh, so f- please feel free if you're having an issue, if you have even an addiction, you have problems and you just wanna to talk to somebody anonymously, look at Serve and Protect. They're they're there to help. Somebody else who is here to help is Sean Wyman. And I was proud to have him as a guest on episode two, I believe, of Public Safety Talk Radio. Given the amount of time and space that uh, that we had for the show, There were some cuts that I had to make, uh, but I knew at some point I would reintroduce uh, this portion of our conversation. Um, Sean is not only an active police officer in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, he's also one of the founders of Going Beyond the Call, which helps public safety professionals uh, with trauma, uh, especially PTSD and other related issues. Um, And he talks about the need for change, but change with police officers in this time of of unrest and some division. And and I think what he said is is right on point. So let's listen to Sean. Going to, for instance, the Derek Chauvin situation and the unfortunate George Floyd uh, incident, What I saw, and granted, I've never been a police officer, I've never been a firefighter, I just respect the job that everybody does and I've had the pleasure of working with a number of those folks.
4: But having
0: had discussions like the one we're having now for close to 15 years, when I saw the first video of the George Floyd incident, the first thing that I said when I saw what Derek Chauvin was doing is that's a cop that's spent, that you know, this is a person that has seen so much that he has no empathy, that you know, he's not going to listen to anybody, any of his fellow peers. Mm-hmm. He's not going to listen to uh, civilians. You know, he is just spent, um, and he's a guy that if we had seen some of this beforehand you know, and been proactive, wouldn't have even been on the street that day that's what I saw. Maybe, maybe I'm ignorant and naive, but I, from a professional like you, I want to, I want to hear because I hear from a lot of good cops that said, you know, what we saw was terrible. We would never do that on our police force. Uh, so what did you see? And, and is my take, you know, anywhere near close to reality.
4: Absolutely. I definitely think it is. I think that again, if Derek and all the other officers that were there, including the poor rookies, man, the guys that have been there, what, three, four days, right? Those guys, they were taking orders. Yep. And unfortunately, they're going to face repercussions because of it, because they're going to say, you know what, you should have recognized right from wrong and otherwise. But those guys are brand new guys. And I can can recall those times where what the FTO says, it goes, right? You do what the FTO tells you to do. So let's look at that, right, training-wise. Look at how many, I mean, they they went back and they said he had all of these complaints, right, for different things. Why wasn't that addressed? Why wasn't that really, you know, why wasn't that looked at deeper? And and again, this is where trauma-informed care comes in, right? It's not about what's wrong with that officer that they keep using excessive force. What's wrong with that officer that they keep cursing at citizens? And we keep getting the same phone calls on the same officer over and over again. You know, instead of saying what's wrong, we should be going, what happened? Yep. What happened to that officer, just like just like anybody else, right? What happened to that officer that they've gotten to the point that they've lost focus on the human behind the badge, right? That's why yeah. I talk about humanizing the badge, right? Because there's something – there's a disconnect. There's a major disconnect there somewhere, and we don't know where it is because we're not there. So we don't know. Yeah. Um, anybody, yeah. I, everybody I have talked to – Um, including some of my greatest mentors that taught me everything I know about defensive tactics. We all agree what happened was not right, period. It's not right. And the legal system is going to take course, and I believe that justice will be served where it's supposed to be served. I do. Um, You know, the other one, Atlanta, I think that's a totally different story, man. I I do, from 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 a law enforcement, from a human perspective, from a law enforcement perspective. But here's the thing, right? Why are we going out and having arguments with untrained people that haven't even walked in our shoes? It's hard for me to have a debate. Like, I get people all the time that want to challenge me on social media about, you know, different use of forces and things like that. And I said, look, when you walk in my shoes and you, you know, like, you know, people that want to uh, be on these uh, review committees, right? Look, if they're not going to police academy and they're not going through the scenario based training, and they're not going out and doing ride-alongs. What gives them the right to review me or to review my brothers and sisters out there and say what we did was right, wrong, or otherwise? If you're not even willing to take a step in our shoes and see it from our side, if you're only going to look at it from the side that you've already chosen, why is that really a fair and balanced review board? And that's, you know, that's for you know, we're looking at that right now as having this citizen review board, and that's all great. But if you want somebody that's legitimate on that board, have them go through a process, go through, you know, at least a small portion of the police academy, go through some defensive tactics and learn what our use of force standards are, right? That way, when you come to the review board, you can say, hey, these are what their use of force policies are, and I think we should change these. Okay, great. Make your argument. Make your debate. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's some things that we should adjust. I'm not here to say that law enforcement is, is perfect because we're definitely not. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've, we've done you know, some things that we probably shouldn't have done, right? But for those few things that we've done wrong, there are so many amazing things that we have done right. And I really believe that our program focuses on reform. It focuses on humanizing the badge and bridging the gaps between us and the communities we serve.
0: What I think we could take from from Sean and that professional pillar piece is that, yes, there needs to be change, uh, but it needs to be change with everybody. Uh, we need to find a way to bring people to the table. Every police officer, every public safety professional that I've talked to, and I've had the privilege of speaking to a number of them, whether they be in law enforcement or another public safety profession, truly want to come to the table to bring better service to society and communities um, and to shut anybody out from that table um, to not try to understand um, each side is is just simply not going to work Um, so as i've talked before on this show um, even from my heart and mind uh, while i do truly believe that there needs to be change in our society there needs to be change Um, to some of our public safety programs out there. I think it needs to be done wisely um, with a motion being put uh, on the back burner uh, for at least a little bit to talk about logic and to talk about it with respect uh, to all parties. Because I think that we can definitely create a system that allows all of our public safety professionals to go home safely to their families and to also keep all communities safe for their families as well. And that is four great examples, I believe, the four pillars of the Soundness Initiative. I'm always looking for feedback and ideas. If you know a great guest, if you have a great topic for Public Safety Talk Radio that is going to help police officers Firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, uh, or anybody else that I may have left out of that list of public safety professionals, please reach out to me. I'm always looking for great content and I'm always looking to provide great knowledge and information in all four pillars of our soundness initiative, financial, physical, emotional, and professional. Thank you for either watching or listening to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back next week with another great program for our public safety professionals. Take care. Stay safe public safety talk radio is produced by the pocua pocua is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals to learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you go to www.policecreditunions.com and always remember if you aren't working with one of our pocua credit unions You're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.